You've dreamed of building a family, but the journey hasn't been easy. I'm Dr. Laura Shaheen, a reproductive endocrinologist helping people build families every day. On our new podcast, Baby or Bust, we'll be learning from both reproductive experts and people who have faced challenges just like yours. Join us every week for Baby or Bust, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to follow us so you never miss an episode. Today on the Zabecast, if you came for baseball scores today or LeBron versus MJ hot takes, well, turn around because I got nothing for you. If you came for landscaping talk, however, you're in luck. That plus Gil Alexander of VSIN explains why anybody who had Golden State at the Golden Nugget is already a winner. If you've got 45 minutes to kill, then buckle up and let's go! <laughs> Here we go! Monday, May 14, 2018. How you doing out there, my podcast people? Thank you for your download. It's going to be a three-day week. Hey, hey, I don't want to hear that from you people. I know you love this Zabecast. I know you can't get enough. But I am going to take two days of vacation. And no, I'm not going to pre-record two additional episodes in a span of three days. I mean, I could but i mean i gotta have some vacation i mean i've been slaving away at this zero dollar uh you know a day zero dollar a week zero dollar a month job for you people since january 1st i have given myself a generous amount of podcast vacation days i just haven't used them all yet what's that you used a bunch when you went to south africa and vegas and jamaica <laughs> you're right i did I did, I did, I did. So let's get cracking then. Hey, I'm fine with three days, but why don't you just start talking? All right, let's talk sports. Uh, the Cavaliers got destroyed in game one of their best of seven against Boston, and I'll confess I saw none of it live. I've got it taped, and I'm going to watch the highlights later tonight. I was driving back from Philadelphia where we kind of had a combined Mother's Day and landscaping party with my brother-in-law, Todd, and his wife, Yvonne, uh, my wife's sister, and my wife's parents, and the nephews, Luke and Austin, and all three dogs, and my daughters were up there as well. It was actually, it was a fun weekend. I, I love going up there. I love being in Philly. I think it's because of the soft, cold pretzels at Wawa that I, for the life of me, cannot stop eating. I just, I, I can't. I'm addicted. It's the greatest thing ever in the morning, just big, doughy carbohydrate-laden awfulness. Salt, soft, pretzels, cold. Philadelphia style. So I love going up there, and I love you know my in-laws. And yes, I did some hard landscaping. Hard labor on Saturday landscaping. And I did it with a smile on my face because I really owed my brother-in-law, Todd, uh, for when he and his lovely wife watched our children when we were off in South Africa, my wife and I. And so... I was more than happy to go ahead and, and pay back the favor. Uh, my brother-in-law just got a pool built. Uh, built it in the fall. Now it's springtime. The water's in. It's going through its cycling, getting prepped up. Uh, the landscaping is now what they're working on. And so there was a big mound of uh, dirt behind the pool 
that was going to be a landscaping mound, and so we were tasked with helping put down the weed barrier and uh, planting some shrubbery, shrubbery, and doing some weeding and putting in a a little border of river rock. And it was uh, it was only six hours, really, of labor. Truth be told, between myself, my brother-in-law Todd, my wife, uh, his two sons, and one of my two daughters. Um, it was only six hours. We, we didn't get a start until like noon, and we didn't finish until six. But holy... Sh- I've been told don't swear so much on the Savecast. You, you get the point. Man, was I sore. To put it bluntly, I would not be made out for a North Korean gulag. I just wouldn't. I don't have the back for it. I don't have the stamina. I mean, it was... It was bad. And it was only six hours. And it was six hours with quite a few breaks involved along the way as well. So I'd say the actual really billable working hours was maybe two-thirds that. I I at least had two good 30-minute breaks and then probably another hour, a sorted hour of standing around. Now, my iWatch did say that I had walked 13,000 steps, even though it was in a fairly confined backyard of only about a half an acre at best, which translates into seven miles. And of course, my uh, activity goal was 300%. I got a good workout. But what's interesting about landscaping and what's interesting about group projects like this is that you got to have a foreman who is the boss, who lays down the law and says, we're doing this, we're doing that, let's go here, do this, and Basically, everyone else has to fall in line behind that guy and jump to it and get after it and be sort of that chain of command like, yes, chef, yes, chef. It cannot be a collaborative effort, at least not to a certain degree. You can, as you know, not the boss of a project like this, question and say, are you sure you want this you know, mulch over here or maybe we should do this first? But you know, one little question and then that's it. Don't start reinventing the wheel or arguing or going, well, I want to do... No. It's yes, chef, no, chef. Yes, sir, no, sir. Fall in line. And of course, when you've got teenagers involved, God bless teenagers. You know, if if you let them slack off just a bit, if you let them wander off the hill of weed and pain, as I called it, then they'll wander off and they'll go play with the dog or they'll go get out their BB gun or they will go get their swimsuit on and jump in the pool. You really got to kind of crack the whip. And so at one point during the weekend's uh, tasks, at least on Saturday, you know, my wife was telling me, hey, tone it down. You know, you're, you're kind of being kind of being harsh there. You know, your tone of voice with the kids. And I was like, hey, someone has got to be the boss. Now, of course, I deferred all things to Todd because this was his landscaping project and he wanted it the way he wanted it. But even I had to bite my tongue on certain things. Uh, like, for example, my Todd, my brother-in-law Todd, very meticulous. Very meticulous. He is a, he's not just a measure twice, cut once. He's a measure six times. Stop, take a look at it, go walk around, take a look again, and then reconsider everything and then measure a few more times, and then he'll finally cut after that. He's very methodical in that regard. So he was doing some measurements on where some of the shrubbery was supposed to go. And the first thing that had to be determined was, well, where is the midpoint of the sort of the shrubbery display behind the wall of the pool in their backyard? And so he measures it out, 
which I'm not opposed to measuring out to get a midpoint. But as he measured the midpoint where it came out to be the actual midpoint in terms of feet and inches was not what I would call the aesthetic midpoint. And I gently brought that up, not to be, uh, you know, not to be what I said other people shouldn't be, which is to not be a disruptor or a dissenter or a troublemaker. I just merely said, by the way, for what it's worth, I believe sometimes there is a literal midpoint when you're hanging a picture or arranging something in landscaping. And then there is what I would call an aesthetic midpoint. And they're like, okay, go on. And I said, well, here, if this was my yard, you always go with that. If this was my yard, it, it makes makes them think that you really care. I said, if this was my yard, I would want the middle of your landscaping here to line up. And I stood on the wall and I said, right here, looking right out your two sliding glass doors right on down this line, which I know is technically not the middle. But because you know the, the hump is a little bit offset and because the wall is offset, and sure enough, after I made my point about aesthetic midpoints, they bought it and they said, you're right, it should be there. And so that's where we got to digging. I don't even know if there is such a thing as an aesthetic midpoint. I might have just made it up. If there is an actual term that you know of, whether it's in decorating or landscaping or maybe even in... I wouldn't say an engineering. I think if you're talking straight engineering, then there is only measurements. There is no aesthetics necessarily involved. But I, I'll look forward to hearing from some engineers out there. So we get the midpoint. We also, I think, made a mistake. And this is where landscapers, any any pro landscapers out there, I'd love to hear from you. I think we made the mistake of putting down the weed barrier first and then punching holes, or better yet, we then cut X's in the weed barrier to dig the holes to plant the bushes. And that was an extra tedious, sloppy, pain-in-the-ass process because you had to get out the razor blade, and you had to cut an X, and that's what my brother-in-law Todd wanted, and you pull the flaps up. And it kind of made sense to me because once you got the plant in there, and you could put the flaps back down. It would provide some degree of a weed barrier around the plant itself. But because it's been cut in an X, those weeds are going to come up through the cracks. I'm also not entirely sure the extent of my belief in weed barriers in general. I know that I have had you know pro landscapers put down weed barriers in various landscaping. And I know that they have helped stop weeds to a certain degree. But weeds are weeds. They're, they're, they're going to do what they do. They're going to keep coming. Keep coming and keep coming. And so you got to pull them. You got to spray them. You got to preen them. You got to stay on their ass all day, every day. So we put down the weed barrier and then we cut axes in them. And then we punch the holes in them. There was one row of bushes, though, in which we had not yet laid down the weed barrier. And I said, you know what? Let's try this. I said, I'm going to dig these holes. We're going to put these knockout roses in there. We're going to cover them up, and then we're going to roll along with the weed barrier. And when we get to a shrub, we're going to have, you know, my brother-in-law Todd with the scissors or the knife, he's going to cut a slit in the three-foot-wide weed barrier. And then we would kind of open it up and pull it over the plant, almost like a poncho, so to speak. That actually worked pretty well, pretty well. But I don't know what is the recommended way to do it. 
whether if you're really doing a pro job, just how it's supposed to be done. I also know that we didn't do the best job of necessarily tacking down the weed barrier. It was a little bit bunched up in places. There was a few gaps in other places. I think that's just going to happen. I mean, we could have spent more time trying to get it perfect, but it was hard enough as it is. And again, I was having to yell at the two teenage boys, my brother-in-law Todd's kids, to get the damn staples in the weed barrier. Because I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Because we run out of time, got a late start to the day, rain is coming. I'm like, here, I will hold the roll. You guys be the staple team. And you get on the left side, you get on the right side, Luke and Austin, and just start, boom, staple, boom, staple, boom, staple, every couple feet. And I'll just roll it out and we'll be like a machine. Well, sure enough, teenagers and their pace these days, they're like standing there and they're waiting. And I'm, I'm like, now I am like yelling at them. Like, come on, staple team, staple team. You know, I keep having to say, staple team, get down there. Because they, like I envision it as them being on their hands and knees and crawling along like army soldiers. Hup, 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 staple, 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 staple. Boom, 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 boom. Slit over the bush. Boom, boom, boom. We'll get this thing all you know lined up. And they're standing there and they're just looking and they're waiting, and I'm like, get the fucking staples in the weed barrier. So we got all that done, uh, got the mulch down. We were all good and exhausted and good and dirty afterwards. And uh, a good deed was done. And I think it's only sort of half done now because the backside of this mound is very steep, and it was too steep we determined to really hold mulch And they still have plans to plant what they hope are some screening evergreens behind the mound. Maybe some Leland Cypress, maybe some Arborvitae, maybe some Thuja Green Giant. All depends on what they want. All depends on what they can kind of plant in what is a pretty steep hillside. Because it's a steep mound and then there's a fence backing up to a neighbor's house. See, they're in one of those neighborhoods where... They're looking right at the back porch of a neighbor behind them, and the neighbor behind them is looking right at their pool now. And my sister-in-law would like some screening. And I didn't have the heart to tell them, because they've lived in this house now for, dang, almost 20 years. I didn't have the heart to tell them, you know, tell you what a good time would have been to plant some arborvitae, or some white pine, or some uh, green thuja, or maybe all three in sort of a layer. Good time to do that would have been 20 years ago because then you'd have an awesome evergreen screen that blocks off the back of the house. But, you know, they, like a lot of us, you know, just struggling to make ends meet and they've only got a limited budget and they just didn't put them in. So now they can put in six footers, hope that the deer don't ravage them, and then, you know, wait another 20 years and then they'll have a really nice screen. <laughs> of course, I said, does, I said, do you have an HOA? They're like, yeah, and I go, would they allow perhaps a 10-foot-high wooden lattice fence on top of this berm that you could then put a white rectangle in the middle and it could be a screen for your projection TV? Uh, that I did not did not go very far. But hey, I threw it out there. That's uh, me, Mr. Helper, just throwing out ideas to see what might or might not stick. I 
don't even know what I'm saying. How am I supposed to behave? Right. Like, uh, this is a, almost an out-of-body experience right now as Caps fans. <laughs> and very chesty. Gil Alexander is on the phone. He is literally my between periods uh, guest uh, here on the uh, Farmer John Between Periods interview podcast. Gil, of course, a host at Vison, Brent Musburger's Warehouse of Wise Guys out in the desert. You host the a numbers game, which is on at what time again, Gil? Uh, seven to nine Pacific, ten to noon Eastern. Fantastic, and of course, Gil is on Twitter at beating the book. All right, let me start with this. How is Las Vegas when it comes to Golden Knights mania? Uh, it is, you know, it's hard to put it into words that anyone else could really understand. There's no historical precedent for this, obviously, in any sport. Your, first, fact that in yeah, the- your first pro team in town, number one, for Vegas. And secondly, the most successful expansion team in sports history. Yeah, I asked a... Uh, uh, by the way, we, we lied. We're doing this three Score! seconds before the end. <laughs> 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 oh, my goodness. I, I called Gil up with eight seconds left thinking, I want to get this in. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and the Caps have scored again. Wow. 4-2 now wow. going into the third period on a Sunday night. Okay, yeah, as not, as we we're, were saying, to say anything. as yeah. we were as we were saying, Gil, unprecedented on two fronts. First of all, Vegas's first pro team. Second of all, no expansion team has ever been good. Period. Much less this good. Right, and compare it to our very own Washington Capitals, who just referred to. You know, night seventy four, seventy five. It's a you know, it's a draft of minor league players, and or you're getting minor league players, and there's a, a collegiate draft, and it's just dreck. And now you have the situation where, uh, with the uh, Golden Knights, that they obviously different rules entirely many decades later. And it has just gone as well as anyone could have expected, understatement of the year. But from a, from a betting standpoint, to quantify it, um, Jason Simple over at CG says that the Knights have accounted for 30% of the handle over at CG Technology. Now, just to give you sort of a comparison. 30%. 30%. So take, you know, if you guessed what's the football team that accounts for the most handle, I think everybody would guess uh, correctly. Cowboys. The New England Patriots. Oh, no, okay. New England Patriots. Okay, yeah, we're right. close. New England Patriots, 8%. So that is unprecedented, too. In fact, last year when the uh, Penguins and Caps were in Game 7, asked Jimmy Baccaro over at the South Point, what's the handle looking like for this game? And at that time, he said, this is the greatest handle I've ever seen for any one single hockey game. And the Knights games trump that nightly. So who is betting these games? Locals? Wise guys? Tourists? Who? Primarily locals. It's primarily a local thing. Um, Hockey is categorized under other sports. So not football, not baseball, not basketball. It's thrown in with all the other random sports. And the uh, Nevada Gaming Commission puts out the handle of other sports. Hockey between October and March. 214 million. That's a 36% increase from 157 million uh, that Doug Kazarian had over at ESPN reported. So that's all, that's all driven, not all, but mostly driven by Golden Knights uh, money and rabid just fandom. Uh, And the the two biggest, the sort of follow up thing would be okay, who's got the, who stands to gain the most? Who's got the big tickets? 
and there's 13 people over at Westgate who were in the October 4th to 8th window where they had 500 to 1 tickets. Oh, my God. But, but those tend to be like 10 or 25 bucks. And, you know, even though people who are betting 10 or 25 are like, how do I hedge this? And I'm like, really? $10? You want to hedge this? <laughs> <laughs> but the biggest two, Steve, the biggest two tickets that are out there are both at William Hill. Someone on October 8th. So right at the end of that window where it was 500 to 1, someone bet $200 at 200 to 1. That had net him $40,000 if the unthinkable happens in the ninth to win it all. Of course, they're down one nothing in the Western Conference Finals. And somebody on October 25th bet 1000 at 50 to 1 to net 50000 All right. Even still, that's not going to hurt Vegas. It'll be a nice payday if it comes home. I would try yep. to hedge both of the, the 50000 and what was the other one, $40,000? Yeah. Yeah. You'd want to hedge that, don't you think? Or no, well, or ride it. Or maybe you ride it. I mean, I don't know. Well, there, if you can find a, uh, a field bet out there, there's a prop. Will the Knights make the play? Make the, oh, excuse me. Will the Knights win the Stanley Cup? Yes or no? The simple hedge is to bet no on that and try to, you know, work it out mathematically. Um, after having seen game one against the Jets, I will say this the Knights, who look faster than any other team in hockey, seem to have met their speed match anyway yeah. in the Winnipeg Jets. Looks like the party could be coming to an end. Now, there is a counter theory going around now in sports radio circles, and I think I've seen it written that says this success this quick is the worst thing that could have happened to the Golden Knights <laughs> franchise. I know you're laughing because now the feeling is any season that doesn't live up to this will suck, and then the team will quickly fade away. Do you buy into that? Well, you know, my Lyft driver the other day happened to say the exact oh, same thing. He goes, what, then what you know, Then we... you know it's a discount sports opinion when Lyft drivers are offering it to you unsolicited. He, 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 he listens to our show. He goes, what do we do if we win? What happens after this? <laughs> said, I, don't, I don't have a good answer for that. You know, the other two sort of theories that are being bandied about is, one, when Seattle gets an expansion team in 2020, they're not going to have only one goaltender get protected for every team. The Mark Andre Fleury thing, because human beings suck, right? They want to they want to really rain on other people's parades. So that, like, look, teams should be able to protect two goaltenders. So Seattle's screwed by the night's success in that respect. Uh, and the other and, and the other thing with it is, uh, you know, what does this say about the sport of hockey that this could happen? Uh, it says that hockey is random, especially in the postseason. Not to take away from the Knights' regular season, but it was probably right. a little bit of the rules were too loose, sort of like a bad slot machine that the NHL is now going to gill take out a service, right? The rules they used this time around. And, they, <laughs> and somebody came up and got hot, got hot on the wheels. It's a great story. I love it for the city because – I think that you guys as a sports city are going to take off, and, and the, this team will be popular into the future. The Raiders are going to be wildly popular. There's no reason that Vegas won't be right there as a sports city with anyone else. I'm with you up until baseball. Once I hear them talking baseball, I'm like, okay, let's not get crazy. No, let's no. not. Yeah, yeah, baseball I think is a bit of a reach. That's a lot of dates to fill. But football and hockey and eventually the NBA, which I'm sure Adam Silver would be fine with, I think those mm-hmm. all three would thrive. Gil Alexander joining us here on the Zabecast. You can listen to him on VEASAN, uh, a numbers game, and then, of course, his Twitter handle is at beating the book. So on to the NBA here. 
what is this weird case where the Golden Nugget is already prepaying anyone who has a Golden State ticket to win the Western Conference Finals because the owner apparently of the Golden Ticket is one, or Golden Nugget is one Tillman Fertitta, the billionaire yes. who owns the Rockets, and because of that they want to avoid a conflict of interest or an appearance of a conflict of interest, and they're just paying guys out now before the first game's ever been played. Yeah, that's that's by and large correct. So there is a precedent for this. Uh, there's a gentleman named Gary Loveman who had a stake in the Celtics when he was running Caesars. So a lot of people who have gone to Vegas since 2006, uh, they if they stayed at a Caesars property and they tried to build a, build a Celtics game, they know what I'm talking about. They were not allowed to do so. What's unique about this is that Fertitta, Tillman Fertitta, purchased the Rockets for $2.2 billion in September. So there was already uh-huh. futures. Yeah, there was already futures out on the Rockets you know, to win the West, to win, uh, to win the whole thing uh, prior to that. So as soon as he bought the Rockets, and he, as you said, he's the owner of the Nugget, the Golden Nugget then, in, in, in order to avoid that conflict, same thing that happened at Caesars with Gary Loveman, they take the Rockets down from all futures boards. They don't take any Rockets bets on any games all season, even into the playoffs, even now on the Western Conference Finals. Uh, and what they did at the time in September when he bought the Rockets is they switched – the wording, they take the Rockets off the board and they say, all right, who's going to, quote unquote, finish best in the West, finish West in the NBA Finals? But as you're intimating, already now, if you had a Golden State Warriors ticket to win the Western Conference at the Golden Nugget, you're a winner. You'll get paid. <laughs> that, and that, by the way, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. And, and the last thing, if it goes to the Finals, if the Rockets are able to get past the Warriors, big if, but if they do... Then if you're holding a Cleveland or Boston championship futures ticket, whichever gets there, you'll be a winner before that series starts that, at the Nugget. That is what I like to call <laughs> That's some sweet, action. sweet action right there when you've already won and you don't <laughs> even have to watch the games. So let me get this straight. Now, once – okay, so what about next season and going forward? Is this not a crimp in the Golden Nuggets revenues to not be able to take any – pro or anti-rockets action or is it a drop in the bucket that they're just going to work around yeah it depends it depends how each individual defines the word crimp because i think it's accurate that it's a crimp because if this were football right if we were talking about ownership in a football team which might have conflict by nfl rules to begin with right i don't even know if that's possible offhand but yes if it were a football team then it's massive right for for a particular property but since it's basketball uh, it's not quite as big as you might think. It's a, it's a unique story. Uh, obviously, next year they won't be on the board to begin with, so nobody will have a ticket, um, you know, that they can just walk in to, that they will have pre uh, pre sale. Um, but it will be the same sort of thing where if the Rockets are there in the Western Finals, and if you already have the other team in the West, you'll cash before the series. That that sort of thing will still exist. Uh, but it is it is a basketball team. It is June, and as they have said, both uh, Tony Miller and Aaron Kessler, who are the people behind the desk, the main people behind the desk at the Nugget, they'll tell you, well, you know, to be honest with you, we'll be okay. Yes, yeah. it kind of sucks. It'll but, suck a little more in the finals, but it's all right. Right. Tillman's not going to sell his casino, and he likes owning the Rockets, so they'll just figure out a way to make it work. Why yeah. was, anecdotally, from what I heard, the lines and the series price on Boston-Philly was completely upside down, and people who were betting Boston had a field day? What happened there? Yes. 
it was ridiculous. So first of all, this coming from a person now, I had Eastern Conference futures on the Sixers, both at 15 to 1 and at 9 to 1, which I got in late March and, and early April, respectively. So this from the perspective from a guy who was heavily vested in the Sixers. I did my show when that series price came out, and I guessed them beforehand, and I said, okay, I think the Sixers, even without home court, I'll make them, I don't know, like a minus 250 favorite. And even when I said that, I sort of cringed because I'm like, is my futures bias playing into my guess? Right. And I, and then I, and what did they, and what did the Sixers open at to win the series? It ended up opening in the minus 300s, but by game time, by tip off of game one, they had gotten to the minus 500. Minus 500. So, in other words, five to one, or actually one to five to win the series. One to five. Yes. The, the Sixers were overwhelming favorites to win that series. And I did see, Gil, where Game 3, after the Sixers had been handled in Games 1 and 2, they were an inexplicable nine-point favorite at home in Game (laughs) 3 when Boston had already shown, Gil, oh, we got something for you guys. That, to me, seemed crazy. Yes, what you're hitting on there, I think, is the unique thing about this. So it's one thing that it was this crazy price to begin with. And again, even those of us with Sixers futures who had you know, the ability to have two thoughts in our head at the same time, I'm like, this series price is insane. Right. What was amazing was what you're saying, which is even when we got to see game one and the Sixers didn't show up for game one, then and only then did it get down to what I thought the original price would be. The Sixers were still minus 250 without home court down one after game one. After they blew the 22-point lead in Game 2, and they were down 2 to nothing, someone asked me, all right, guess. This is before I knew what it was. Guess, what do you think the line is now that the Sixers are down 2 nothing? And I go, okay. 2.5. It's got to be Celtics minus, I don't know, minus 170, I said. And he goes, it's minus freaking 120. Oh, my. and So you're asking yourself, why is this? Part of this is fueled by people like me who had, futures tickets on the Sixers. The Sixers craze got so ridiculous that the books had much more liability on the Sixers than they did on a team like the Celtics, who obviously were missing Kyrie, Gordon Hayward, uh, okay. and, then, and then others along the way. Jalen Brown, remember, was doubtful for game one, questionable for game two. But that can't explain all of it, because once we got to see with our own eyes what was happening, it still made no sense. Well, if they have a lot of Sixers liability out there, wouldn't they want to invite Boston money to even it out? They would initially, right after before the series, they absolutely would, and certainly after you know after Game One, they would. But at, at a certain point, they keep dealing those lines, oh, okay. and it's like, all right, what am I missing here? Why that is why actually everybody that is yeah. kind of why it was that way. They were they were begging for Boston money, and they got some. To help begging for Boston money, exactly. Okay, uh, NFL futures are already out, and there is week to week lines. I get people emailing me infrequently. Gil, how come I see the Redskins have point spreads for all sixteen of their games, and it's only May? How is that yeah. possible, Gil? How's it possible? What's the deal? Well, you know, they do this in the UK. They've done it for decades in the UK with their sports, where they just do them, you know, half a year, a year in advance. The books, you know, they're like, look, we have power ratings. We'll put out numbers. We'll take your action. Uh, yes, will there? Will it open ourselves up? Will it open ourselves up for some middles? If some injuries happen, if teams, you know, make a trade, whatever. Sure, but you know, there's odd makers, right? The, the thing about people behind the desk is, and we use these two words too often interchangeably. 
They're odds makers and they're also bookmakers. So uh. they're if they're good enough bookmakers, if they're good enough bookmakers, even if their numbers aren't sharp, they're smart enough to figure out how to get out of liability by the time those games go. Interesting. Uh, many months later. So, because so, yeah, you could, because you could set up, and, and is by is there limits on betting a line in a game in week ten in May? Like, do they put a throttle yeah. on it, like only a hundred bucks or two hundred bucks? I see you've been to this rodeo before. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. What is that? Uh, the, what is that limit typically? Five hundred dollars for the for the originals. Okay. On the on the week two on the uh, go on the look ahead lines all the way from weeks one through sixteen. Note that they won't put out week seventeen lines because week seventeen is so squirrely anyway. Sure. Uh, but sure. Five hundred dollar limits. Yeah, because you could have middle opportunities that are as wide as the autobahn. Because of the fact that if you really think a team is overcooked and they're going to be bad come week 10, they could be two and eight and they could have caught three and a half or they were laying three and a half to start the season because they all thought they were going to be good. And instead, they're seven point underdogs now in week 10. That's a 10 point middle there you could hit. Yeah. The only the only thing I would say, though, just as a sort of wet blanket to that is it's one thing to bet futures and season wins this far in advance. And that's, you know, again, economics 101, the opportunity cost of having them hold your money for all that time. You can't make uh, profit elsewhere, right? Uh, with these, I, as much as I like to bet season win totals and, and primarily season wins, not futures as much, I, the thought of me going in and betting a week three line and then having them hold my money till yeah. September, let's say a late season line, that's I'm tough. just not that into it. Yes, yeah. right. Especially if you're wrong on it, and you then locked in a terrible price on right. a team that come week ten is a lot better than you thought or worse. Yeah, and if I do win, it's like great. I won. Uh, that was money that they held for eight months. You know, it's like oh boy, that was wonderful. But, you know, there's that kind of thing Gil, as well. It's gambling. It's not logical economic behavior so I'm oh sure you've noticed I, yeah. <laughs> I have noticed all right before we let you go because the third period is about to start i've got one uh one quarter in my pocket for your preakness take a little preakness note for us on our way out the door today yeah uh, nothing nothing just earth shattering here but uh preakness obviously right now as we do this with only uh you know there was eight horses committed and now uh good magic is committed good magic uh which made that run uh, at the Kentucky Derby. So Good Magic's in this. It didn't really change the odds that much on Justify. I was a little surprised by that, uh, or really the odds in the field. So that's the only note that I would have here almost a full week before the Preakness, obviously. We'll get to learn more as this goes on. But Justify, uh, one to two, Good Magic, three to one right now is this is the second shortest shot uh, for the Preakness at Pimlico. Love the infield at Pimlico. Love it. Gil Alexander, D.C. native, rooting hard for the Caps. He hosts a numbers game on VSIN. Go to vsin.com, watch all their shows, get all their info, and, of course, follow uh, Gil on Twitter at Beating the Book. Good to talk to you, Gil. We'll talk again. Steve, always great. Thank you. There you go. Gil Alexander from VSIN out there in Vegas. A quick side note on the quality of that call. I did use my cell phone, and I called his cell phone. I'm sure one of his nine burner cell phones, because, you know, he's in the gambling business. I'm sure he's got nine phones. I have been told by you listeners over and over that 
as long as it's a good connection, as long as the person you call on the phone is not driving around, that that quality is acceptable. That's what I've been told, that if the, if the guest is interesting enough and the, the call is solid, meaning they're not running errands or I can't hear you, hold on, i got to pick up my daughter at soccer practice, you guys don't mind. That call quality was a little sketchy for me. It was a little warbly, and I apologize. I don't know if that's my cell phone. I don't know if that's his cell phone. I don't know if it's 6-1, half dozen of the other. Other, I don't know if it's the fact that I'm just piping the audio out of my cell phone via a little lightning bolt to female 3.5 millimeter adapter into the one, you know, one eighth inch or 3.5 millimeter line in to my board here in my podcast studio. I have no idea why that is. I would say, Gil, call me on your hard line and I would get a hard line myself. I'm not sure it would be that much better. So that's all the apologizing I can do for the modern state of telephony. We'll end on this today. I cannot stand what a bunch of tattling weenies this country has become. You might have heard by now the story of one of President Trump's staffers. A woman by the name of Kelly Sadler, who apparently said when they were in a private staff meeting together, a White House-only staff meeting or a White House communication staff meeting, apparently Kelly Sadler said when they were discussing uh, Senator McCain's opposition to Trump's pick for the CIA, Gina Haspel, that Ms. Sadler said basically, well, you know, it doesn't matter, he's dying anyway. The White House did not dispute the remark when it was leaked to the Associated Press by two different sources on condition of anonymity to discuss this closed-door meeting. Uh, the White House didn't dispute it, like I said, and they set out a statement, basically. That you know, created a huge shitstorm. Now look, two things. Saying that was out of bounds, period. No question about it. Whomever leaked it to the press, though, that is totally out of bounds as well. I mean, what a rat. That, that is supposed to be your own staff right there who are saying, okay, what the hell? Like, shut, you know, they should have told this woman, shut the fuck up. Go sit in the corner. What are you saying? But don't let that get out. Who's telling that to the press? Because it's just going to make the president look bad, which, you know, the press has no problem doing and the president himself has no problem doing. That is some serious bad, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's just bad cohesiveness that that thing got out. Now look, now now there's people demanding a public apology, which I think is total bullshit. They just want to embarrass the administration further, and so far they're resisting it. We'll see if they can keep banging the drum to make this uh, Kelly Sadler apologize. I'm sure people want her fired. Okay, whatever. Like I said, it was out of bounds, period. No question about it. But what if she had said, I'm just playing hypothetical here, what if she had said when they're discussing McCain's vote against Haspel because of the waterboarding issue, what if she had just said, well, given his health situation, should we even worry about it at this point? Would that have been out of bounds? Because that might have just been an honest, strategic question. You only have so much time 
you only have so many brain cycles to devote to any one crises at the moment or any one thing in government, would that not have been a reasonable thing to ask? Who knows? And what about the tone? And what about the surrounding language? And what about the way it was presented, the context and everything else? The larger point of this is, and I've always felt this way, John McCain is a true American war hero. God bless John McCain and what he endured and his service to this country. But here's the problem. It's not healthy when you can't motherfuck somebody in politics. And that's why our democracy is still, as messed up as it is, the best in the world, is that we can, as a press and as free citizens, motherfuck politicians publicly on the Internet and worse. Yet that professor at Fresno State, I think, who had tenure, who said publicly about how good uh, Barbara Bush can burn in hell. Fuck Barbara Bush. She's the worst. And she did not lose her job because she can't lose her job. And they you know, pretty much had to say, yeah, there's nothing we can do. That's in its own way why we're still a great country, is you can still do this and goons and black boots and helicopters in the middle of the night won't come and whisk you and your family away. And when it comes to McCain, the problem is you shouldn't have to tiptoe so gingerly all the time. I mean, there have been times where I have motherfucked McCain's positions on certain issues. Privately, of course. Not him as a man, but just the way he stood. I have also done that with his desire, it seemed, to be a media darling instead of being somebody who is going to put at least his party first. And you can argue with me about, well, that's why I like McCain. We need more politicians who aren't about the party first. Well, okay, that's fine. But let me tell you, the other party, the other team, they have tremendous operational discipline. They pretty much stick by each other at all times. That's why when there's a controversy with a Democrat, and usually the controversy doesn't go very far because the media just does not give it any oxygen to, to, to get up into a big bonfire, even if there is one, they stick together. Because the game is winning seats, winning elections, and then legislating according to your party's beliefs. That's the game. End of the day. And McCain has been, unfortunately, the maverick, he has been more in it for himself, politically. And if you can't say that in a tactful way while still saying he is a true American hero and God bless John McCain, then we got a problem. And then, of course, the cancer diagnosis added in another layer of, oh my God, how dare you say that? I also, by the way, didn't think he did a very good job of running for president. Not that I think he would have beat Barack Obama. Not a chance. No way. Uh, I also don't think it makes him look good right now, second-guessing picking Sarah Palin as his VP running mate. It's like, it just makes him look bad, if you ask me. No disrespect to Senator McCain, true American war hero. I mean, you picked her, dude. Like, don't you have to accept that at some point? At the end of the day, the bigger, bigger, bigger picture is none of this matters. None of it matters. It's a private comment that was rude, out of bounds, and deserves an apology that did not stop the gears of the Republic from turning and from the larger issues of what are we doing as a country from going forward. Yet it got so much attention, as I'm sure the next one will. 
just like the last one did, the whole shithole country thing, which was a huge story for about a week. And this one will be gone in a week, no question about it. There'll be something else. There always is. And all of this will get washed under the bridge of the raging river of nonsense. And that is the end of my political rant. Why am I even doing this? I'm just inviting people to come at me. Fine. Email me if you like. I can't say I'm going to respond. That's fine. It doesn't matter. You can email to agree as well. Anyway, that said, let me give it one more coding. God bless John McCain, true American war hero. And that line, that comment was out of line. Okay, that's the last coat of paint I'm giving it. Hopefully they'll do the trick. Thank you so much for listening. That will be a wrap today. You know the drill. Tell two friends who've got nothing better to do than to listen to this Zabecast. Leave a positive review. Download, subscribe at all the major podcast outlets. And as Yogi Berra once said about a restaurant, that place is too popular. Nobody goes there anymore. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time.